The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan The book opens with a short biography of John Bunyan. Born at Elstow, near Bedford, England, in 1628, Bunyan was a tinker's son and was trained in that craft. After a brief army service, he returned to Elstow in 1645, where he married, probably in 1649. It was about this time that he passed through the deep religious experiences which shaped the rest of his life. In 1653 he joined a Christian fellowship and was soon preaching in the villages about Bedford. He was arrested at Amptail in 1660 for preaching without a license. Tried and sentenced to the Bedford County Jail, Bunyan spent 12 years in prison until his release following the Declaration of Indulgence in 1672. Several of his most important books were written during this time. On release from prison, he became a licensed preacher and pastor of his church. In March of 1673, however, he was again imprisoned following the cancellation of the Declaration of Indulgence. During this six-month imprisonment, Bunyan wrote the first part of Pilgrim's Progress, though it was only first issued in 1678. The second part was published six years later. John Bunyan died in 1688, Yet Pilgrim's Progress has survived as one of the major works of all time. Aside from the religious significance of the book, the simplicity and beauty of the writing, the realism and psychological insight have led many to consider Bunyan as the father of the novel. Part 1 Chapter 1 As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted on a certain place where was a den, and laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled, and not being able longer to contain, he brake out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do? Carnal Physique for a Sick Soul in this plight, therefore, he went home and restrained himself as long as he could, that his wife and children should not perceive his distress. But he could not long be silent, because that his trouble increased. Wherefore, at length, he brake his mind to his wife and children, and thus he began to talk to them. O oh, my dear wife, said he, and you the children of my bowels, I, your dear friend, am in myself undone by reason of a burden that lieth hard upon me. Moreover, I am certainly informed that this our city will be burned with fire from heaven, in which fearful overthrow both myself with thee, my wife, and you, my sweet babes, shall miserably come to ruin, except, the which yet I see not, some way of escape can be found whereby we may be delivered. At this his relations were sore amazed, not for that they believed that what he had said to them was true, but because they thought that some frenzied distemper had got into his head. Therefore, it drawing toward night, and they hoping that sleep might settle his brains, with all haste they got him to bed. But the night was as troublesome to him as the day, wherefore, instead of sleeping, he spent it in sighs and tears. So when the morning was come, they would know how he did. He told them, worse and worse. He also set to talking to them again, but they began to be hardened. They also thought to drive away his distemper by harsh and surly carriage to him. Sometimes they would deride, sometimes they would chide, 
and sometimes they would even quite neglect him. Wherefore he began to retire himself to his chamber to pray for and pity them, and also to condole his own misery. He would also walk solitary in the fields, sometimes reading and sometimes praying, and thus for some days he spent his time. Now I saw upon a time when he was walking in the fields that he was, as he was wont, reading in his book, and greatly distressed in his mind. And as he read, he burst out, as he had done before, crying, What shall I do to be saved? I saw also that he looked this way and that way, as if he would run. Yet he stood still, because, as I perceived, he could not tell which way to go. I looked then and saw a man named Evangelist coming to him, who asked, Wherefore dost thou cry? He answered, Sir, I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment, and I find that I am not willing to do the first, nor able to do the second. Then said Evangelist, Why not willing to die, since this life is attended with so many evils? The man answered, Because I fear that this burden that is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave, and I shall fall into hell. And, sir, if I be not fit to go to prison, I am not fit to go to judgment, and from thence to execution, and the thoughts of these things make me cry. Then said Evangelist, If this be thy condition, why standest thou still? He answered, Because I know not whither to go. Then he gave him a parchment roll, and there was written within, Flee from the wrath to come. Christ, the way to him, cannot be found without the word. The man therefore read it, and looking upon Evangelist very carefully, said, Whither must I fly? Then said Evangelist, pointing with his finger over a very wide field, Do you see yonder wicket gate? The man said, No. Then said the other, Do you see yonder shining light? He said, I think I do. Then said Evangelist, Keep that light in your eye, and go up directly thereto. So shalt thou see the gate at which, when thou knockest, it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door when his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, Life, life, eternal life. So he looked not behind him, but fled toward the middle of the plain. They that flee from the wrath to come are a gazing stock to the world. The neighbors also came out to see him run, and as he ran, some mocked, others threatened, and some cried after him to return, and among those that did so there were two that resolved to fetch him back by force. The name of the one was obstinate, and the name of the other pliable. Now by this time the man had got a good distance from them, but, however, they resolved to pursue him, which they did, and in a little time they overtook him. Then said the man, Neighbors, wherefore are ye come? They said, To persuade you to go back with us. But he said, That can by no means be. You dwell, said he, in the city of destruction, the place also where I was born. I see it to be so, and dying there sooner or later you will sink lower than the grave into a place that burns with fire and brimstone. Be content, good neighbors, and go along with me. What? said Obstinate, and leave our friends and comforts behind us? Yes, said Christian, for that was his name, because that all which you forsake is not worthy to be compared 
with a little of that I am seeking to enjoy. And if you would go along with me and hold it, you shall fare as I myself. For there where I go is enough and to spare. Come away and prove my words. Obstinate replied, What are the things you seek, since you leave all the world to find them? Christian, I seek an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, and it is laid up in heaven and safe there to be bestowed, at the time appointed, on them that diligently seek it. Read it so, if you will, in my book. Tush, said Obstinate, away with your book. Will you go back with us or no? No, not I, said the other, because I have put my hand to the plow. Obstinate. Come then, neighbor pliable, let us turn again, and go home without him. There is a company of these crazy-headed coxcombs that when they take a fancy by the end are wiser in their own eyes than seven men that can render a reason. Then said pliable, Don't revile. If what the good Christian says is true, the things he looks after are better than ours. My heart inclines to go with my neighbor. Obstinate. What? More fool still? Be ruled by me and go back. Who knows whither such a brain-sick fellow will lead you? Go back. Go back and be wise. Christian. Nay, but do thou come with thy neighbor, Pliable. There are such things to be had which I spoke of, and many more glories beside. If you believe not me, read here in this book, and for the truth of what is expressed therein, behold, all is confirmed by the blood of him that made it. Well, neighbor obstinate, said Pliable, I begin to come to a point. I intend to go along with this good man and to cast in my lot with him. But, my good companion, do you know the way to this desired place? Christian, I am directed by a man whose name is Evangelist to speed me to a little gate that is before us, where we shall receive instructions about the way. Pliable. Come then, good neighbor, let us be going. Then they both went together. And I will go back to my place, said Obstinate. I will be no companion of such misled, fantastical fellows. Now I saw in my dream that when Obstinate was gone back, Christian and Pliable went talking over the plain, and thus they began their discourse. Christian. Come, neighbor Pliable, how do you do? I am glad you are persuaded to go along with me. Had even Obstinate himself but felt what I have felt of the powers and terrors of what is yet unseen, he would not thus lightly have given us the back. Pliable. Come, neighbor Christian, since there are none but us two here, tell me now further what the things are and how to be enjoyed whither we are going. God's things unspeakable. Christian. I can better conceive of them with my mind than speak of them with my tongue. And yet, since you are desirous to know, I will read of them in my book. Pliable. And do you think that the words of your book are certainly true? Replied Christian. Yes, verily, for it was made by him that cannot lie. Pliable. Well said. What things are they? Christian answers. There is an endless kingdom to be inhabited and everlasting life to be given to us, that we may inhabit that kingdom forever. Pliable. Well said. And what else? Christian. There are crowns of glory to be given us, and garments that will make us shine like the sun in the firmament of heaven. Pliable. This is very pleasant. And what else? Christian. There shall be no more crying, nor sorrow, for he that is owner of the place will wipe all tears from our eyes. Pliable. 
And what company shall we have there? Christian. There we shall be with seraphims and cherubims, creatures that shall dazzle your eyes to look on them. There also you shall meet with thousands and ten thousands that have gone before us to that place. None of them are hurtful, but all loving and holy, every one walking in the sight of God and standing in his presence with acceptance forever. In a word, there we shall see the elders with their golden crowns. There we shall see the holy virgins with their golden harps. There we shall see men that by the world were cut in pieces, burnt in flames, eaten of beasts, drowned in the seas, for the love they bear to the Lord of that place, all well and clothed with immortality as with a garment. Pliable The hearing of this is enough to ravish one's heart. But are these things to be enjoyed? How shall we get to be sharers thereof? Christian The Lord, the governor of the country, hath recorded that in this book, the substance of which is, if we be truly willing to have it, he will bestow it upon us freely. Pliable Well, my good companion, glad am I to hear of these things. Come on, let us mend our pace. Christian I cannot go so fast as I would by reason of this burden that is on my back. Now I saw in my dream that just as they had ended this talk, they drew nigh to a very miry slough that was in the midst of the plain, and they, being heedless, did both fall suddenly into the bog. The name of the slough was Despond. Here, therefore, they wallowed for a time, being grievously bedaubed with the dirt, and Christian, because of the burden that was on his back, began to sink into the mire. Then said Pliable, Ah, neighbor Christian, where are you now? Truly, said Christian, I do not know. It is not enough to be pliable. Pliable. At this Pliable began to be offended and angrily said to his fellow, Is this the happiness you have told me all this while of? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and our journey's end? May I get out again with my life. You shall possess the brave country alone for me. And with that he gave a desperate struggle or two and got out of the mire on that side of the slough which was next to his own house. So away he went, and Christian saw him no more. Wherefore Christian was left to tumble in the slough of despond alone, but still he endeavored to struggle to that side of the slough which was farthest from his own house and next to the wicket gate the which he did, but could not get out because of the burden that was upon his back. But I beheld in my dream that a man came to him whose name was Help, and asked him what he did there. Sir, said Christian, I was bid to go this way by a man called Evangelist, who directed me also to yonder gate, that I might escape the wrath to come. And as I was going there, I fell in here. But why did you not look for the steps? Christian, Fear followed me so hard that I fled the next way and fell in. Then said Help, Give me thine hand. So he gave him his hand, and he drew him out, and set him upon solid ground, and bid him go on his way. Then I stepped to him that plucked him out, and said, Sir, wherefore, since over this place is the way from the city of destruction to yonder gate, is it that this plat is not mended, that poor travelers might go thither with more security? And he said unto me, This miry sloth is such a place as cannot be mended. It is the descent whither the scum and filth 
that attend conviction for sin do continually run, and therefore it is called the sloth of despond. For still, as the sinner is awakened by his lost condition, there arise in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, which all of them get together and settle in this place, and this is the reason of the badness of the ground. It is not the pleasure of the king that this place should remain so bad. His laborers also have, by the direction of his majesty's surveyors, been for about the 1600 years employed about this patch of ground, if perhaps it might have been mended. Yea, and to my knowledge, said he, here have been swallowed up at least 20,000 cartloads, yea, millions of wholesome instructions that have at all seasons been brought from all places of the king's dominions, and they that can tell say they are the best materials to make good ground of the place. If so, be it might have been mended, but it is the sloth of despond still, and so will be when they have done what they can. The Promises of Forgiveness and Acceptance to Life by Faith in Christ Two there are, by the direction of the lawgiver, certain good and substantial steps, placed even through the very midst of this sloth. But at such time as this place doth much spew out its filth, as it doth against change of weather, these steps are hardly seen, or, if they be, men, through the dizziness of their heads, step aside, and then they are bemired to purpose, notwithstanding the steps be there, but the ground is good when they are got in at the gate. Now I saw in my dream that by this time Pliable was got home to his house. So his neighbors came to visit him, and some of them called him wise for coming back, and some called him a fool for hazarding himself with Christian. Others again did mock at his cowardliness, saying, Surely, since you began to venture, I would not have been so base to have given out for a few difficulties. So Pliable sat sneaking among them. But at last he got more confidence, and then they all turned their tails and began to deride poor Christian behind his back, and thus much concerning Pliable. Now as Christian was walking solitary by himself, he espied one afar off coming across over the field to meet him, and their hap was to meet just as they were crossing the way of each other. The gentleman's name that met him was Mr. Worldly Wiseman. He dwelt in the town of Carnal Policy, a very great town, and also hard by from whence Christian came. This man then, meeting with Christian, and having some inkling of him, for Christian setting forth from the city of destruction was much noised abroad, not only in the town where he dwelt, but also it began to be the town talk in some other places. Mr. Worldly Wiseman, therefore, having some guess of him, by beholding his laborious going, by observing his sighs and groans, and the like, began thus to enter into some talk with Christian. Worldly Wiseman How now, good fellow? Whither away after this burden manner? Christian A burden manner indeed, as ever I think poor creature had. And whereas you ask me, whither away? I tell you, sir, I am going to yonder wicket gate before me, for there, as I am informed, I shall be put into a way to be rid of my heavy burden. Worldly Wiseman Hast thou a wife and children? Christian Yes, but I am so laden with this burden that I cannot take that pleasure in them as formerly. Methinks I am as if I had none. Worldly Wiseman Wilt thou hearken to me if I give thee counsel? Christian answers If it be good, I will, for I stand in need of good counsel. Worldly Wiseman 
I would advise thee then that thou with all speed get thyself rid of thy burden, for thou wilt never be settled in thy mind till then, nor canst thou enjoy the blessings which God hath bestowed upon thee till then. Christian replies, That is that which I seek for, even to be rid of this heavy burden, but to get it off myself I cannot, nor is there any man in our country that can take it off my shoulders. Therefore am I going this way, as I told you, that I may be rid of my burden. Worldly Wiseman Who bid thee go this way, to be rid of thy burden? Christian replies, A man that appeared to me to be a very great and honorable person, his name, as I remember, is Evangelist. I wish him ill for his counsel, said Worldly Wiseman. There is not a more dangerous and troublesome way in the world than is that into which he hath directed thee and that thou shalt find if thou wilt be ruled by his counsel. Thou hast met with something as I perceive already, for I see the dirt of the slough of despond is upon thee. But that slough is the beginning of the sorrows that do attend those that go on in that way. Hear me, I am older than thou. Thou art like to meet with, in the way which thou goest, wearisome, painfulness, hunger, perils, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, Darkness and in a word, death, and what not. These things are certainly true, having been confirmed by many testimonies. And why should a man so carelessly cast away himself by giving heed to a stranger? Christian. Why, sir, this burden upon my back is more terrible to me than all these things which you have mentioned. Nay, methinks I care not what I meet with in the way. If so be, I can also meet with the deliverance from my burden. Worldly Wiseman replies, How camest thou by the burden at first? By reading this book in my hand, said Christian. I thought so, said Worldly Wiseman. And it has happened unto thee as unto other weak men, who, meddling with things too high for them, do suddenly fall into thy distractions, which distractions do not only unman men, as thine I perceive have done thee, but they run them upon desperate ventures to obtain they know not what. Christian answers, I know what I would obtain. It is ease for my heavy burden. He prefers morality before the straight gate. Worldly Wiseman But why wilt thou seek for ease this way, seeing so many dangers attend it? Especially since, hadst thou but patience to hear me, I could direct thee to the obtaining of what thou desirest without the dangers that thou in this way wilt run thyself into. Yea, and the remedy is at hand. Besides, I will add that, instead of those dangers, thou shalt meet with much safety, friendship, and content. Christian Sir, I pray, open this secret to me. Worldly Wiseman Why, in yonder village, the village is named Morality, there dwells a gentleman whose name is Legality, a very, a very judicious man, and a man of very good name that has skill to help men off with such burdens as thine is from their shoulders. Yea, to my knowledge, he hath done a great deal of good this way. Aye, and besides, he hath skill to cure those that are somewhat crazed in their wits with their burdens. To him, as I said, thou mayest go and be helped presently. His house is not quite a mile from this place, and if he should not be at home himself, he hath a pretty young man to his son, whose name is Civility, that can do it, to speak on, as well as the old gentleman himself. There I say thou mayest be eased of thy burden, and if thou art not minded to go back to thy former habitation, as indeed I would not wish thee, 
Thou mayest send for thy wife and children to thee in this village, where there are houses now standing empty, one of which thou mayest have at a reasonable rate. Provision is there also, cheap and good, and that which will make thy life the more happy is, to be sure there thou shalt live by honest neighbors, in credit and good fashion. Now was Christian somewhat at a stand, but presently he concluded, If this be true which this gentleman hath said, my wisest course is to take his advice. And with that he thus spake further, Sir, which is my way to this honest man's house? Worldly Wiseman, Do you see yonder high hill? Yes, very well. By that hill you must go, and the first house you come at is his. Mount Sinai So Christian turned out of his way to go to Mr. Legality's house for help. But behold, when he was got now hard by the hill, it seemed so high, and also that side of it that was next the wayside did hang over so much that Christian was afraid to venture further, lest the hill should fall on his head. Wherefore there he stood still, and knew not what to do. Also his burden now seemed heavier to him than while he was in his way. There came also flashes of fire out of that hill that made Christian afraid that he should be burnt. Here therefore he sweat and did quake for fear. And now he began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wiseman's counsel. And with that he saw Evangelist coming to meet him, at the sight also of whom he began to blush for shame. So Evangelist drew nearer and nearer, and coming up to him he looked upon him with a severe and dreadful countenance, and thus began to reason with Christian. What doest thou here, Christian? said he, at which words Christian knew not what to answer. Wherefore at present he stood speechless before him. Then said Evangelist further, Art thou not the man that I found crying without the walls of the city of destruction? Yes, dear sir, I am the man, said Christian. Did I not direct thee the way to the little wicket gate? Yes, dear sir, said Christian. How is it then that thou art so quickly turned aside, for thou art now out of the way? Christian, I met with a gentleman as soon as I had got over the slough of despond, who persuaded me that I might, in the village before me, find a man that could take off my burden. Who was he? said Evangelist. He looked like a gentleman and talked much to me, and got me at last to yield. So I came hither. But when I beheld this hill and how it hangs over the way, I suddenly made a stand, lest it should fall on my head. What said that gentleman to you? said Evangelist. Why, he asked me whither I was going, and I told him. And what said he then? Christian, he asked me if I had a family, and I told him. But, said I, I am so laden with the burden that is on my back that I cannot take pleasure in them as formerly. What said he then? said Evangelist. Christian, he bid me with speed get rid of my burden, and I told him it was ease that I thought. And, said I, I am therefore going to yonder gate to receive further direction how I may get to the place of deliverance. So he said that he would show me a better way and short, not so attended with difficulties as the way, sir, that you sent me in. Which way, said he, will direct you to a gentleman's house that hath skill to take off these burdens? So I believed him, and turned out of that way into this, if haply I might soon be eased of my burden. But when I came to this place, and beheld things as they are, I stopped for fear, as I said, 
of danger. But I now know not what to do. Then said Evangelist, Stand still a little, that I may show thee the words of God. So he stood trembling. Then said Evangelist, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. He said moreover, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. He also did thus apply them, Thou art the man that art running into misery. Thou hast begun to reject the counsel of the Most High, and to draw back thy foot from the way of peace even almost to the hazarding of thy perdition. Then Christian fell down at his feet as dead, crying, Woe is me, for I am undone! At the sight of which Evangelist caught him by the right hand, saying, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Be not faithless, but believing. Then did Christian again a little revive and stood up trembling as at first before Evangelist. Then Evangelist proceeded, saying, Give more earnest heed to the things that I shall tell thee of. I will now show thee who it was that deluded thee, and who it was also to whom he sent thee. That man that met thee is one worldly wise man, and rightly is he so called, partly because he savoreth only the doctrine of this world. Therefore he always goes to the town of morality to church, and partly because he loveth that doctrine best, for it saveth him from the cross. And because he is of this carnal temper, therefore he seeketh to pervert my ways, though right. Now there are three things in this man's counsel that you must utterly abhor. One, his turning thee out of the way. Two, his laboring to render the cross odious to thee. Three, and his setting thy feet in that way that leadeth unto the administration of death. First, thou must abhor his turning thee out of the way. Yea, and thine own consenting thereto, because this is to reject the counsel of God for the sake of the counsel of a worldly wise man. The Lord says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, the gate to which I send thee. For straight is the gate which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. From this little wicked gate, and from the way thereto, hath this wicked man turned thee, to the bringing of thee almost to destruction. Hate therefore his turning thee out of the way, and abhor thyself for hearkening to him. Secondly, thou must abhor his laboring to render the cross odious unto thee, for thou art to prefer it before the treasures of Egypt. Besides, the king of glory hath told thee that he that will save his life shall lose it, and he that comes after him and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be his disciple. I say therefore, for a man to labor to persuade thee that, that shall be thy death, without which the truth hath said thou canst not have eternal life, this doctrine thou must abhor. Thirdly, thou must hate his setting of thy feet in the way that leadeth to the ministration of death. And for this thou must consider to whom he sent thee, and also how unable that person was to deliver thee from thy burden. He to whom thou wast sent for ease, being by name legality, is the son of the bondwoman which now is, and is in bondage with her children, and is in a mystery this Mount Sinai, which thou hast feared will fall on thy head. Now if she with her children is in bondage, how canst thou expect by them to be made free? 
This legality, therefore, is not able to set thee free from thy burden. No man was as yet ever rid of his burden by him. No, nor ever is like to be, yet cannot be justified by the works of the law. For by the deeds of the law no man living can be rid of his burden. Therefore, Mr. Worldly Wiseman is an alien, and Mr. Legality is a cheat. And, and for his son's civility, notwithstanding his simpering looks, he is but a hypocrite and cannot help thee. Believe me, there is nothing in all this noise that thou hast heard of these sottish men, but a design to beguile thee of thy salvation, by turning thee from the way in which I had set thee. After this, Evangelist called aloud to the heavens for confirmation of what he had said. And with that there came words and fire out of the mountain, under which poor Christian stood, which made the hair of his flesh stand up. The words were thus pronounced, As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now Christian looked for nothing but death and began to cry out lamentably, even cursing the time in which he met with worldly wise men, still calling himself a thousand fools for hearkening to his counsel. He also was greatly ashamed to think that this gentleman's arguments, flowing only from the flesh, should have the prevalency with him so far as to cause him to forsake the right way. This done, he applied himself again to evangelist in words and sense as follows. Sir, what think you? Is there any hope? May I now go back and go up to the wicket gate? Shall I not be abandoned for this and sent back from thence ashamed? I am sorry I have hearkened to this man's counsel, but may my sins be forgiven? Then said Evangelist to him, Thy sin is very great, for by it thou hast committed two evils. Thou hast forsaken the way that is good to tread in forbidden paths. Yet will the man at the gate receive thee, for he has good will for men. Only, said he, take heed that thou turn not aside again, lest thou perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Chapter 2 Then did Christian address himself to go back, and Evangelist, after he had kissed him, gave him one smile and bid him Godspeed. So he went on with haste, neither spake he to any man by the way, nor, if any asked him, would he vouchsafe them an answer. He went like one that was all the while treading on forbidden ground, and could by no means think himself safe, till again he was got in the way which he had left to follow Mr. Worldly Wiseman's counsel. So in process of time, Christian got up to the gate. Now over the gate there was written, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He knocked therefore, more than once or twice, saying, May I now enter here? Will he within open to sorry me, though I have been an undeserving rebel? Then shall I not fail to sing his lasting praise on high. At last there came a grave person to the gate named Goodwill, who asked who was there, and whence he came, and what he would have. Christian answered, Here is a poor burdened sinner. I come from the city of destruction, but am going to Mount Zion, that I may be delivered from the wrath to come. I would therefore, sir, since I am informed that by this gate is the way thither, know if you are willing to let me in. The gate will be opened to broken-hearted sinners. I am willing with all my heart, said he, and with that he opened the gate. Satan envies those that enter the straight gate. 
So when Christian was stepping in, the other gave him a pull. Then said Christian, What means that? The other told him, A little distance from this gate there is erected a strong castle, of which Beelzebub is the captain, from whence both he and they that are with him shoot arrows at those that come up to this gate, if happily they may die before they can enter in. Then said Christian, I rejoice and tremble. So when he was got in, the man of the gate asked him, Who directed him thither? Christian replied, Evangelist bid me come hither and knock, as I did. And he said that you, sir, would tell me what I must do next. Goodwill. An open door is set before thee, and no man can shut it. Christian replies, Now I begin to reap the benefit of my hazards. Goodwill. But how is it that you came alone? Christian replies, Because none of my neighbors saw their danger, as I saw mine. Did any of them know you were coming? said Goodwill. Yes, my wife and children saw me at the first, and called after me to turn again. Also some of my neighbors stood crying, and calling after me to return, but I put my fingers in my ears, and so came on my way. But did none of them follow you to persuade you to go back? said Goodwill. Yes, both obstinate and pliable. But when they saw that they could not prevail, obstinate went railing back. But pliable came with me a little way. But why did he not come through? said Goodwill. A man may have company when he sits out for heaven, and yet go thither alone. Christian replies, We indeed came both together until we came to the slough of despond into the which we also suddenly fell. And then was my neighbor pliable discouraged, and would not venture further. Wherefore, getting out again on the side next to his house, he told me that I should possess the brave country alone for him. So he went on his way, and I came mine, he after obstinate, and I to this gate. Then said Goodwill, Alas, poor man, is the celestial glory of so little esteem with him, that he counted it not worth running the hazard of a few difficulties to obtain it. Truly, said Christian, I have said the truth of Pliable, and if I should also say the truth of myself, it will appear there is no betterment betwixt him and myself. Tis true he went back to his own house, but I also turned aside to go into the way of death, being persuaded thereto by the carnal argument of one Mr. Worldly Wiseman. Oh, did he light upon you, said Goodwill? What he would have had you seek for ease at the hands of Mr. Legality. They are both of them a very cheat. But did you take his counsel? Yes, said Christian, as far as I durst. I went to find out Mr. Legality until I thought that the mountain that stands by his house would have fallen on my head. Wherefore, there I was forced to stop. That mountain has been the death of many, said Goodwill, and will be the death of many more. It is well you escaped, being by it dashed into pieces. Christian replied, Why, truly, I do not know what had become of me there, had not Evangelist happily met me again, as I was musing in the midst of my dumps. But it was God's mercy that he came to me again, for else I had never come hither. But now I am come, such a one as I am, more fit indeed for death by that mountain, than thus to stand talking with my Lord. But, oh, what a favor this is to me, that yet I am admitted entrance here. Goodwill replies, We make no objections against any, notwithstanding all that they have done before they come hither, they in no wise are cast out. <laughs>
and therefore, good Christian, come a little with me, and I will teach thee about the way thou must go. Look before thee. Dost thou see this narrow way? That is the way thou must go. It was cast up by the patriarchs, prophets, Christ, and his apostles, and it is as straight as a rule can make it. This is the way thou must go. Christian afraid of losing his way. But, said Christian, are there no turnings nor windings by which a stranger may lose his way? Yes, replied Goodwill. There are many ways but down upon this, and they are crooked and wide. But thus thou mayest distinguish the right from the wrong, the right only being straight and narrow. Christian weary of his burden. Then I saw in my dream that Christian asked him further if he could not help him off with his burden that was upon his back. For as yet he had not got rid thereof, nor could he by any means get it off without help. He told him, As to thy burden, be content to bear it until thou comest to the place of deliverance, for there it will fall off thy back of itself. Then Christian began to gird up his loins and to address himself to his journey. There is no deliverance from the guilt and burden of sin but by the death and blood of Christ. So the other told him that by that he was gone some distance from the gate, he would come at the house of the interpreter, at whose door he should knock, and he would show him excellent things. Then Christian took his leave of his friend, and he again bid him Godspeed. Then he went on till he came to the house of the interpreter, where he knocked over and over. At last one came to the door and asked who was there. Sir, here is a traveler who was bid by an acquaintance of the good man of this house to call here for his prophet. I would therefore speak with the master of the house. So he called for the master of the house, who, after a little time, came to Christian and asked him what he would have. Sir, said Christian, I am a man that am come from the city of destruction and am going to Mount Zion. And I was told by the man that stands at the gate at the head of this way that if I called here you would show me excellent things such as would be helpful to me on my journey. He is entertained. Then said the interpreter, Come in, I will show thee that which will be profitable to thee. So he commanded his man to light the candle and bid Christian follow him. So he had him into a private room and bid his man open a door, the which, when he had done, Christian saw the picture of a very grave person hung up against the wall. And this was the fashion of it. It had eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in its hand, the law of truth was written upon its lips, the world was behind its back, it stood as if it pleaded with men, and a crown of gold did hang over its head. Then said Christian, What meaneth this? Interpreter replied, The man whose picture this is, is one of a thousand. He can say in the words of the apostle, Though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And whereas thou seest him with his eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, and the law of truth writ on his lips, it is to show thee that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners, even as also thou seest him stand as if he pleaded with men. And whereas thou seest him with his eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, and the law of truth writ on his lips, 
It is to show thee that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners, even as also thou seest him stand as if he pleaded with men. And whereas thou seest the world is cast behind him, and that a crown hangs over his head, this is to show thee that slighting and despising the things that are present, for the love that he hath to his master's service, he is sure in the world that comes next to have glory for his reward. Now said the interpreter, I have showed thee this picture first, because the man whose picture this is, is the only man whom the Lord of the place whither thou art going hath authorized to be thy guide. In all difficult places thou mayest meet within thy way. Wherefore take good heed to what I have showed thee, and bear well in thy mind what thou hast seen, lest in thy journey thou meet with some that pretend to lead thee right, but their way goes down to death. Then he took him by the hand and led him into a very large parlor that was full of dust, because never swept. The which after he had reviewed it a little while, the interpreter called for a man to sweep. Now when he began to sweep, the dust began so abundantly to fly about that Christian had almost therewith been choked. Then said the interpreter to a damsel that stood by, Bring hither water and sprinkle the room. The witch, when she had done, it was swept and cleansed with pleasure. Then said Christian, What meaneth this? The interpreter answered, This parlor is the heart of a man that was never sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is his original sin and inward corruptions that have defiled the whole man. He that began to sweep at first is the law, but she that brought water and did sprinkle it is the gospel. Now whereas thou sawest that, as soon as the first began to sweep, the dust did so fly about that the room could not by him be cleaned, but that thou wast almost choked therewith. This is to show thee that the law, instead of cleansing the heart, by its working from sin, doth revive, put strength into, and increase it in the soul, even as it doth discover and forbid it, for it doth not give power to subdue. Again as thou sawest the damsel sprinkled the room with water, upon which it was cleansed with pleasure, this is to show thee that when the gospel comes in, in the sweet and gracious influences thereof, to the heart, then I say, even as thou sawest the damsel lay the dust by sprinkling the floor with water, so is sin vanquished and subdued, and the soul made clean through the faith of it, and consequently fit for the king of glory to inhabit. I saw moreover in my dream that the interpreter took him by the hand and had him into a little room where sat two children, each one in his own chair. The name of the eldest was Passion, and the name of the other Patience. Passion seemed to be much discontented, but patience was very quiet. Then Christian asked, What is the reason of the discontent of patience? The interpreter answered, The governor of them would have him stay for his best things till the beginning of next year, but he will have all now. Patience is willing to wait. Then I saw that one came to patience and brought him a bag of treasure and poured it down at his feet, the which he took up and rejoiced therein, and withal laughed patience to scorn. But I beheld but a while, and he had lavished it all away, and had nothing left him but rags. Then said Christian to the interpreter, Expound this matter more fully to me. So he said, These two lads are figures, passion of the men of this world, and patience of the men of that which is to come. For as here thou seest, passion will have all now, this year, that is to say, in this world, 
So are the men of this world. They must have all their good things now. They cannot stay till the next year, that is, until the next world, for their portion of good. That proverb, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, is of more authority with them than all the divine testimonies of the good of the world to come. But as thou sawest that he had quickly lavished all away, and had presently left him nothing but rags, so will it be with all such men at the end of this world. Then said Christian, Now I see that patience has the best wisdom, and that upon many accounts. One, because he stays for the best things. Two, and also because he will have the glory of his, when the other has nothing but rags. Interpreter replies, Nay, you may add another. To wit, the glory of the next world will never wear out, but these are suddenly gone. Therefore Passion had not so much reason to laugh at Patience, because he had his good things at first, as Patience will have to laugh at Passion, because he had his best things last. For first must give place to last, because last must have his time to come. But last gives place to nothing, for there is not another to succeed. He therefore that hath his portion first must needs have a time to spend it, but he that hath his portion last must have it everlasting. Therefore it is said of dives, In thy lifetime thou receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Christian replies, Then I perceive it is not best to covet things that are now, but to wait for things to come. You say the truth, said interpreter, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. But though this be so, yet since things present and our fleshly appetite are such near neighbors one to another, and again because things to come and carnal sense are such strangers one to another, therefore it is that the first of these so suddenly fall into friendship, and that distance is so continued between the second. Then I saw in my dream that the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a place where was a fire burning against a wall, and one standing by it, always casting much water upon it to quench it, yet did the fire burn higher and hotter. Then said Christian, What means this? The interpreter answered, This fire is the work of grace that is wrought in the heart. He that casts water upon it to extinguish and put it out is the devil. But in that thou seest the fire notwithstanding burn higher and hotter, thou shalt also see the reason of that. So when he had him about to the other side of the wall, where he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand, of the which he did also continually cast, but secretly, into the fire. Then said Christian, What means this? The interpreter answered, This is Christ, who continually, with the oil of his grace, maintains the work already begun in the heart, by the means of which, notwithstanding what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. And in that thou sawest that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire, this is to teach thee that it is hard for the tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. I also saw that the interpreter took him again by the hand and led him into a pleasant place where was built a stately palace, beautiful to behold, at the sight of which Christian was greatly delighted. He saw also upon the top thereof certain persons walking, who were clothed all in gold. Then said Christian, May we go thither? Then the interpreter took him and led him up toward the door of the palace. And behold, at the door stood a great company of men, as desirous to go in, but durst not. 
There also sat a man at a little distance from the door, at a table side, with a book and inkwell before him, to take the name of him that should enter therein. He saw also that in the doorway stood many men in armor to keep it, being resolved to do to the men that would enter what hurt and mischief they could. Now was Christian somewhat in amaze. At last, when every man started back for fear of the armed men, Christian saw a man of a very stout countenance come up to the man that sat there to write, saying, Set down my name, sir. The which, when he had done, he saw the man draw his sword and put a helmet upon his head and rushed toward the door upon the armed men, who laid upon him with deadly force. But the man, not at all discouraged, fell to cutting and hacking most fiercely, so that after he had received and given many wounds to those that attempted to keep him out, he cut his way through them all and pressed forward into the palace, at which there was a pleasant voice heard from those that were within, even of those that walked upon the top of the palace, saying, Come in, come in, eternal glory thou shalt win. So he went in and was clothed in such garments as they. Then Christian smiled and said, I think verily I know the meaning of this. Despair like an iron cage. Now, said Christian, let me go hence. Nay, stay, said the interpreter, until I have showed thee a little more, and after that thou shalt go on thy way. So he took him by the hand again and led him into a very dark room, where there sat a man in an iron cage. Now the man to look upon seemed very sad. He sat with his eyes looking down to the ground, his hands folded together, and he sighed as if he would break his heart. Then said Christian, What means this? At which the interpreter bid him talk with the man. Then said Christian to the man, What art thou? The man answered, I am what I was not once. Christian, What wast thou once? The man said, I was once a fair and flourishing professor, both in mine own eyes and also in the eyes of others. I was once, as I thought, fair for the celestial city, and had even joy at the thought that I should get thither. Well, but what art thou now, said Christian? I am now a man of despair, and am shut up to it, as in this iron cage. I cannot get out. Oh, now I cannot. But how camest thou in this condition? asked Christian. I left off to watch and be sober. I laid the reins upon the neck of my lust. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I have grieved the spirit, and he is gone. I tempted the devil, and he has come to me. I have provoked God to anger, and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. Then said Christian to the interpreter, But are there no hopes for such a man as this? Ask him, said the interpreter. Then said Christian, Is there no hope but you must be kept in the iron cage of despair? No, none at all, replied the man. Why, said Christian, the son of the blessed is very pitiful. Man, I have crucified him to myself afresh. I have despised his person. I have despised his righteousness. I have counted his blood an unholy thing. I have done despite to the spirit of grace. Therefore I have shut myself out of all the promises, and there now remains to me nothing but threatenings, dreadful threatenings, fearful threatenings of certain judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour me as an adversary. Christian, for what did you bring yourself into this condition? The man replies, for the lusts, pleasures, and profits of this world, in the enjoyment of which I did then promise myself much delight 
But now every one of those things also bite me, and gnaw me like a burning worm. But canst thou now repent and turn? asked Christian. The man replied, God hath denied me repentance. His word gives me no encouragement to believe. Yea, himself hath shut me up in this iron cage. Nor can all the men in the world let me out. O eternity, eternity! How shall I grapple with the misery that I must meet with in eternity? Then said the interpreter to Christian, Let this man's misery be remembered by thee, and be an everlasting caution to thee. Well, said Christian, this is fearful. God help me to watch and be sober and to pray, that I may shun the cause of this man's misery. Sir, is it not time for me to go on my way now? Interpreter replies, Tarry till I show thee one more thing, and then thou shalt go on thy way. So he took Christian by the hand again and led him into a chamber where there was one rising out of a bed, and as he put on his raiment he shook and trembled. Then said Christian, Why doth this man thus tremble? The interpreter then bid him tell to Christian the reason of his so doing. So he began and said, This night, as I was in my sleep, I dreamed, and behold, the heavens grew exceeding black. Also it thundered and lightened in most fearful wise that it put me into an agony. So I looked up in my dream and saw the clouds rack at an unusual rate, upon which I heard a great sound of a trumpet, and saw also a man sitting upon a cloud, attended with the thousands of heavens. They were all in flaming fire. Also the heavens were a burning flame. I heard then a great voice saying, Arise ye dead and come to judgment. And with that the rocks rent, the graves opened, and the dead that were therein came forth. Some of them were exceeding glad and looked upward, and some thought to hide themselves under the mountains. Then I saw the man that sat upon the cloud open the book and bid the world draw near. Yet there was, by reason of a fierce flame that issued out and came before him, a convenient distance betwixt him and them, as betwixt the judge and the prisoners at the bar. I heard it also proclaimed to them that attended on the man that sat on the cloud, Gather together the tares, the chaff, and the stubble, and cast them into the burning lake. And with that the bottomless pit opened, just whereabout I stood, out of the mouth of which there came, in an abundant manner, smoke and coals of fire, with hideous noises. It was also said to the same persons, Gather my wheat into the garner. And with that I saw many catched up and carried away into the clouds, but I was left behind. I also sought to hide myself, but I could not, for the man that sat upon the cloud still kept his eye upon me. My sins also came into my mind, and my conscience did accuse me on every side. Upon this I awakened from my sleep. But what was it that made you so afraid of this sight, said Christian? Why, I thought that the day of judgment was come, and that I was not ready for it. But this affrighted me most, that the angels gathered up several and left me behind. Also, the pit of hell opened her mouth just where I stood. My conscience, too, afflicted me, and, as I thought, the judge had always his eye upon me, showing indignation in his countenance. Then said the interpreter to Christian, Hast thou considered these things? Yes, replied Christian, and they put me in hope and fear. Well, keep all things so in thy mind, said interpreter, that they may be as a goad in thy side, to put thee forward in the way thou must go. Then Christian began to gird up his loins and to address himself to his journey. Then said the interpreter, The Comforter be always with thee, good Christian. 
to guide thee into the way that leads to the city. So Christian went on his way, saying, Here have I seen things rare and profitable, things pleasant, dreadful, things to make me stable in what I have begun to take in hand. Then let me think on them and understand wherefore they showed me were, and let me be thankful, O good interpreter, to thee. Chapter 3 Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall that was called Salvation. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load that was on his back. He ran thus till he came to a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below, in the bottom, a sepulchre. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulchre where it fell in and I saw it no more. When God releases us of our guilt and burden, we are all those that leap for joy. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked, therefore, and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the water down his cheeks. Now as he stood looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones came to him and saluted him with, Peace be to thee. So the first said to him, Thy sins be forgiven thee. The second stripped him of his rags and clothed him with a change of raiment. The third also set a mark upon his forehead and gave him a roll with a seal upon it, which he bade him look on as he ran, and that he should give it at the celestial gate. So they went on their way. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing, Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in, till I came hither, what a place is this. Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must hear the burden fall from off my back? Must hear the strings that bound me to it crack? Blessed cross, blessed sepulchre, blessed rather be the man that was there put to shame for me. I saw then in my dream that he went on thus, even until he came to the bottom, where he saw, a little out of the way, three men fast asleep, with fetters upon their heels. The name of one was Simple, of another Sloth, and of the third, presumption. There is no persuasion will do if God openeth not the eyes. Christian then, seeing them lie in this case, went to them, if peradventure he might awake them, and cried, You are like them that sleep at the top of a mast, for the deep sea is under you, a gulf that hath no bottom. Awake therefore and come away. Be willing also, and I will help you off with your iron. He also told them, if he that goeth about like a roaring lion comes by you, you will certainly become a prey to his teeth. With that they looked upon him and began to reply in this sort. Simple said, I see no danger. Sloth said, Yet a little more sleep. And presumption said, Every tub must stand upon its own bottom. And so they lay down to sleep again, and Christian went on his way. Yet he was troubled to think that men in that danger should so little esteem the kindness of him that so offered to help them, both by awakening of them, counseling of them, and proffering to help them off with their irons. 
and as he was troubled thereabout, he espied two men come tumbling over the wall on the left hand of the narrow way, and they made up a pace to him. The name of one was formalist, and the name of the other was hypocrisy. So, as I said, they drew up to him, who thus entered with them into discourse. Christian first said, Gentlemen, whence come you, and whither go you? Formal and hypocrisy replied, We were born in the land of vainglory, and are going for praise to Mount Zion. Why come you not in at the gate, which standeth at the beginning of the way, said Christian? Know ye not that it is written, He that cometh not in by the door, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber? They said that to go to the gate for entrance was, by all their countrymen, counted too far about, and that therefore their usual way was to make a shortcut of it and to climb over the wall as they had done. Christian replied, But will it not be counted a trespass against the Lord of the city whither we are bound, thus to violate his revealed will? Formalist in hypocrisy replied, They told him that as for that he need not trouble his head thereabout, for what they did they had custom for and could produce if need were, testimony that could witness it for more than a thousand years. They that come into the way, but not by the door, think that they can say something in vindication of their own practice. But, said Christian, will it stand the trial at law? They told him that custom, it being of so long standing as above a thousand years, would doubtless now be admitted as a thing legal by an impartial judge. And besides, said they, if we get into the way, what matter is it which way we may get in? If we are in, we are in. Thou art but in the way, who, as we perceive, came in at the gate. And we are also in the way, that came tumbling over the wall. Wherein, now, is thy condition better than ours? Christian replied, I walk by the rule of my master. You walk by the rude working of your fantasies. You are counted thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore I doubt you will not be found true men at the end of the way. You come in by yourselves without his direction, and shall go out by yourselves without his mercy. To this they made him but a little answer, only they bid him look to himself. Then I saw that they went on, every man in his way, without much conference one with another, save that these two men told Christian that as to law and ordinances, they doubted not but that they should as conscientiously do them as he. Therefore said they, We see not wherein thou differest from us, but by the coat which is on thy back, which was, as we trow, given thee by some of thy neighbors to hide the shame of thy nakedness. Christian has got his Lord's coat on his back, and is comforted therewith. Christian replies, By laws and ordinances you will not be saved, since you came not in by the door. And as for this coat that is on my back, it was given to me by the Lord of the place whither I go, and that, as you say, to cover my nakedness with. And I take it as a token of his kindness to me, for I had nothing but rags before, and besides, thus I comfort myself as I go. Surely, think I, when I come to the gate of the city, the Lord thereof will know me for good, since I have his coat on my back, a coat that he gave me freely in the day that he stripped me of my rags. I have, moreover, a mark on my forehead, of which perhaps you have taken no notice, which one of my Lord's most intimate associates fixed there the day that my burden fell off my shoulders. I will tell you, moreover, that I have then given me a roll field to comfort me by reading as I go in the way, 
I was also bid to give it in at the celestial gate, in token of my certain going in after it. All which things I doubt you want, and want them because you came not in at the gate. To these things they gave him no answer, only they looked upon each other and laughed. Then I saw that they went all on, save that Christian kept before, who had no more talk but with himself, and sometimes signly, and sometimes comfortably. Also he would be often reading in the roll that one of the shining ones gave him, by which he was refreshed. I beheld then that they all went on till they came to the foot of the hill of difficulty, at the bottom of which was a spring. There were also in that same place two other ways, besides that which came straight from the gate, one turned to the left hand and the other to the right, at the bottom of the hill. But the narrow way lay right up the hill, and the name of that going up the side of the hill is called difficulty. Christian now went to the spring and drank thereof to refresh himself, and then began to go up the hill, saying, The hill, though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Come, pluck up heart, let neither faint nor fear. Better though difficult the right way to go, than wrong though easy, where the end is woe. The danger of turning out of the way. The other two also came to the foot of the hill, but when, but when they saw that the hill was steep and high, and that there were two other ways to go, and supposing also that these two ways might meet again with that of which Christian went on the other side of the hill, therefore they were resolved to go in those ways. Now the name of one of those ways was danger, and the name of the other destruction. So the one took the way which is called danger, which led him into a great wood, and the other took directly up the way to destruction, which led him into a wide field, full of dark mountains, where he stumbled and fell and rose no more. A inward grace. I looked then after Christian to see him go up the hill, where I perceived he fell from running to going, and from going to clambering upon his hands and his knees, because of the steepness of the place. Now about the midway to the top of the hill was a pleasant arbor, made by the lord of the hill, for the refreshment of weary travelers. Thither therefore Christian got, where also he sat down to rest himself. Then he pulled his roll out of his bosom, and read therein to his comfort. He also now began afresh to take a review of the coat or garment that was given him as he stood by the cross. Thus pleasing himself a while, he at last fell into a slumber, and thence into a fast sleep, which detained him in that place until it was almost night. And in his sleep his roll fell out of his hand. Now as he was sleeping, there came one to him, and awakened him, saying, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. And with that Christian suddenly started up, and sped on his way, and went apace till he came to the top of the hill. Now when he was got up to the top of the hill, there came two men running amain. The name of the one was Timorous, and of the other Mistrust, to whom Christian said, Sirs, what is the matter? You run the wrong way. Timorous answered that they were going to the city of Zion, and had got up that difficult place. But, said he, the farther we go, the more danger we meet with. Wherefore we turned, and are going back again. Yes, said Mistrust, for just before us lie a couple of lions in the way. Whether sleeping or waking we know not, and we could not think if we came within reach, but they would presently pull us to pieces. Christian shakes off all fear. Then said Christian, you make me afraid, 
but whither shall I fly to be safe? If I go back to my own country, that is prepared for fire and brimstone, and I shall certainly perish there. If I can get to the celestial city, I am sure to be in safety there. I must venture. To go back is nothing but death. To go forward is fear of death, and life everlasting beyond it. I will yet go forward. So Mistrust and Timorous ran down the hill, and Christian went on his way. But thinking again of what he heard from the men, he felt in his bosom for his role, and found it not. Then was Christian in great distress, and knew not what to do, for he wanted that which used to relieve him, and that which should have been his path into the celestial city. Here, therefore, he began to be much perplexed, and knew not what to do. At last he bethought himself that he had slept in the arbor that is on the side of the hill, and falling down upon his knees, he asked God's forgiveness for that foolish act, and then went back to look for his role. But all the way he went back, who can sufficiently set forth the sorrow of Christian's heart? Sometimes he sighed, sometimes he wept, and oft times he chided himself for being so foolish to fall asleep in that place, which was erected only for a little refreshment from his weariness. Thus therefore he went back, carefully looking on this side and on that, all the way as he went, if happily he might find his role that had been his comfort so many times in his journey. He went thus till he came again within sight of the arbor where he sat and slept. But that sight renewed his sorrow the more by bringing again, even afresh, his evil of sleeping into his mind. Thus, therefore, he now went on bewailing his sinful sleep, saying, O wretched man that I am, that I should sleep in the daytime, that I should sleep in the midst of difficulty, that I should so indulge the flesh as to use that rest for ease to my flesh which the Lord of the hill hath erected only for the relief of the spirits of pilgrims. How many steps have I taken in vain? Thus it happened to Israel. For their sin they were sent back again by way of the Red Sea, and I am made to tread those steps with sorrow which I might have trod with delight had it not been for this sinful sleep. How far might I have been on my way by this time? I am made to tread those steps thrice over which I needed not to have trod but once. Yea, also, now I am like to be benighted, for the day is almost spent. Oh, that I had not slept! Now by this time he was come to the arbor again, where for a while he sat down and wept. But at last, as providence would have it, looking sorrowfully down under the settle, there he espied his roll, the which he, with trembling and haste, catched up and put it into his bosom. But who can tell how joyful this man was when he had gotten his roll again? For this roll was the assurance of his life and acceptance at the desired haven. Therefore he laid it up in his bosom, giving thanks to God for directing his eye to the place where it lay, and with joy and tears betook himself again to his journey. But, oh, how nimbly did he go up the rest of the hill! Yet, before he got up, the sun went down upon Christian, and this made him again recall the vanity of his sleeping to his remembrance. And thus he began again to condole with himself, O oh, thou sinful sleep! How for thy sake am I like to be benighted in my journey! I must walk without the sun. Darkness must cover the path of my feet, and I must hear the noise of the doleful creatures because of my sinful sleep. Now also he remembered the story that Mistrust and Timorous told him of how they were affrighted with the sight of the lions. Then said Christian to himself again, 
These beasts range in the night for their prey, and if they should meet with me in the dark, how should I shift them? How should I escape being torn in pieces? Thus he went on his way. But while he was thus bewailing his unhappy miscarriage, he lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a very stately palace before him, the name of which was Beautiful, and it stood just by the highway side. So I saw in my dream that he made haste and went forward, that if possible he might get lodging there. Now before he had gone far, he entered into a very narrow passage, which was about a furlong off the porter's lodge, and looking very narrowly before him as he went, he espied two lions in the way. Now, thought he, I see the dangers that mistrust and timorous were driven back by. The lions were chained, but he saw not the chains. Then he was afraid and thought also himself to go back after them, for he thought nothing but death was before him. But the porter at the lodge, whose name is Watchful, perceiving that Christian made a halt as if he would go back, cried out unto him, saying, Is thy strength so small? Fear not the lions, for they are chained and are placed there for the trial of faith where it is, and for the discovery of those that have none. Keep in the midst of the path, and no hurt shall come unto thee. Then I saw that he went on trembling for fear of the lions, but taking good heed to the directions of the porter, he heard them roar, but they did him no harm. Then he clapped his hands and went on till he came and stood before the gate where the porter was. Then said Christian to the porter, Sir, what house is this, and may I lodge here tonight? The porter answered, This house was built by the Lord of the hill, and he built it for the relief and security of pilgrims. The porter also asked whence he was and whither he was going. Christian replied, I am come from the city of destruction, and am going to Mount Zion. But because the sun is now set, I desire, if I may, to lodge here tonight. What is your name? asked porter. My name is Christian, but my name at the first was Graceless. I came from the race of Japheth, whom God will persuade to dwell in the tents of Shem. The porter replied, But how does it happen that you came so late? The sun is set. I had been here sooner, said Christian, but that wretched man that I am, I slept in the arbor that stands on the hillside. Nay, I had, notwithstanding that, been here much sooner, but that in my sleep I lost my evidence, and came without it to the brow of the hill. And then, feeling poor it and finding it not, I was forced with sorrow of heart to go back to the place where I had slept, where I found it, and now I am come. The porter replies, Well, I will call out one of the virgins of this place, who will, if she likes your talk, bring you into the rest of the family, according to the rules of the house. So watchful the porter rang a bell, at the sound of which came out of the door of the house a grave and beautiful damsel, named Discretion, and asked why she was called. The porter answered, This man is on a journey from the city of destruction to Mount Zion, but being weary and benighted, he asked me if he might lodge here tonight. So I told him I would call for thee, who, after discourse had with him, mayest do as seemeth thee good, even according to the law of the house. Then she asked him whence he was and whither he was going, and he told her, she asked him how he had got into the way, and he told her. Then she asked him what he had seen and met with on the way, and he told her. And at last she asked his name. So he said, It is Christian, and I have so much the more a desire to lodge here tonight, because, by what I perceive, this place was built by the Lord of the hill, 
for the relief and security of pilgrims. So she smiled, but the water stood in her eyes, and after a little pause she said, I will call forth two or three of my family. So she ran to the door and called out prudence, piety, and charity, who after a little more discourse with him, had him into the family, and many of them meeting him at the threshold of the house said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. This house was built by the Lord of the hill, on purpose to entertain such pilgrims in. Then he bowed his head, and followed them into the house. So when he was come in and sat down, they gave him something to drink, and consented together that, until supper was ready, some of them should have some particular discourse with Christians, for the best improvement of time, and they appointed piety, prudence, and charity to discourse with him, and thus they began. Piety replied, Come, good Christian, since we have been so loving to you to receive you into our house this night, let us, if perhaps we may better ourselves thereby, talk with you of all things that have happened to you in your pilgrimage. Christian answered, With a very good will, and I am glad that you are so well disposed. What moved you at first to betake yourself to a pilgrim's life? asked Piety. Christian answered, I was driven out of my native country by a dreadful sound that was in mine ears. To wit, that unavoidable destruction did attend me if I abode in that place where I was. But how did it happen that you came out of your country this way? asked Piety. It was as God would have it, said Christian, for when I was under the fears of destruction, I did not know whither to go. But by chance there came a man even to me, as I was trembling and weeping, whose name is Evangelist, and he directed me to the wicket gate, which else I should never have found and so set me in the way that hath led me directly to this house. Piety. But did you not come by the house of the interpreter? Yes, and did see such things there, the remembrance of which will stick by me as long as I live, replied Christian, especially three things, to wit, how Christ, in despite of Satan, maintains his work of grace in the heart, how the man had sinned himself quite out of the hopes of God's mercy, and also the dream of him that thought in his sleep the day of judgment was come. Why? asked Piety. Did you hear him tell his dream? Yes, said Christian, and a dreadful one it was. I thought it made my heart ache as he was telling of it, but yet I am glad I heard of it. Piety. Was that all you saw at the house of the interpreter? No, said Christian. He took me and had me where he showed me a stately palace, and how the people were clad in gold that were in it and how there came a venturous man and cut his way through the armed men that stood in the door to keep him out, and how he was bid to come in and win eternal glory. Methought those things did ravish my heart. I would have stayed at that good man's house a twelve month, but that I knew I had further to go. And what saw you else in that way? asked Piety. Saw? said Christian. Why, I went but a little farther, and I saw one, as I thought in my mind, hang bleeding upon a tree, and the very sight of him made my burden fall off my back. For I groaned under a very heavy burden, and then it fell down from off me. It was a strange thing to me, for I never saw such a thing before. Yea, and while I stood looking up, for then I could not forbear looking, three shining ones came to me. One of them testified that my sins were forgiven me. Another stripped me of my rags and gave me this broidered coat which you see and the third set the mark which you see in my forehead, and gave me the sealed roll, and with that he plucked it out of his bosom. Piety. 
But you saw more than this, did you not? Christian replied, The things that I have told you were the best, yet some other matters I saw, as namely I saw three men, simple, sloth, and presumption, lie asleep, a little out of the way as I came, with irons upon their heels. But do you think I could wake them? I also saw formalist and hypocrisy come tumbling over the wall to go as they pretended to Zion, but they were quickly lost, even as I myself did tell them, but they would not believe. But, above all, I found it hard work to get up this hill, and it hard to come by the lion's mouth, and truly, if it had not been for the good man, the porter that stands at the gate, I did not know but that, after all, I might have gone back again. But now I thank God I am here, and I thank you for receiving me. Then Prudence thought good to ask him a few questions, and desired his answer to them. Do you think sometimes of the country from whence you came? said Prudence. Yes, but with much shame and abhorrence, said Christian. Truly, if I had been mindful of that country from whence I came out, I might have had an opportunity to have returned. But now I desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Prudence asked, Do you not yet bear away with you some of the things that then you were conversant with all? Yes, said Christian, but greatly against my will, especially my inward and carnal reflections with which all my countrymen, as well as myself, were delighted. But now all those things are my grief, and might I but choose mine own things, I would choose never to think of those things more. But when I would be doing that which is best, that which is worst is with me. Prudence. Do you not find sometimes as if those things were vanquished, which at other times are your perplexity? Yes, said Christian, but that is but seldom but they are to me golden hours in which such things happen to me. Can you remember by what things you find your annoyances at times as if they are vanquished? asked Prudence. How Christian gets power against his corruptions. Yes, said Christian, when I think what I saw at the cross, that will do it. And when I look upon my broidered coat, that will do it. Also, when I look into the roll that I carry in my bosom, that will do it. And, when my thoughts wax warm about whither I am going, that will do it also. Prudence, and what makes you so desirous to go to Mount Zion? Why Christian would be at Mount Zion? Christian answered, Why, there I hope to see him alive that did hang dead on the cross, and there I hope to be rid of all those things that to this day are in me an annoyance to me. There they say there is no death, and there I shall dwell with such company as I like best. For, to tell you the truth, I love him, because I was by him eased of my burden, and I am weary of my inward sickness. I would fain be where I shall die no more, and with the company that shall continually cry, Holy, Holy, Holy. Then said Charity to Christian, Have you a family? Are you a married man? Christian said, I have a wife and four small children. And why did you not bring them along with you, said Charity? This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com swrb.com 
We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.